0: Hemlock knots. Cracking the restoration's toughest subjects through rational, balanced analysis of source material. Well, let's talk about priest Denmark This is uh, so. i was I don't think when I need to make the disclaimer. I we are just we are talking. These are questions that I have heard that my friends have asked. I think we should be allowed to ask these questions without uh being accused of uh you know trying to tear down the whole organization i'm not trying to do that at all but i do have questions and i and it was funny in our first conversation we were just kind of kicking around different things that we did have questions on in the the church and the priesthood is very simple in the book of mormon um and i've either i brought up or you did but i we've talked about with my friends where is the need for an ironic priesthood or a, um, an ironic priesthood post Jesus Christ dying and being sacrificed as the Lamb of God for our sins. There is no high priest, which high priest, that's a word that has different meanings. But the high priests were after the Levitical priesthood. Is that correct? In the Old Testament that were doing the sacrifices?
1: I mean, high priest. It, right. it, yeah. But those guys were not by any means holy men. Um, I think history shows that.
0: So I think there's room <clears throat> if the Lord wanted to, uh, establish a priesthood, uh, in his church, certainly he has every right to do that, but it's not. So the Iranian priesthood all of a sudden now has a completely different function than old Testament, um, but the question is, where where's the word ironic priesthood or Melchizedek in the Book of Mormon, and how did these things come to be? So, talk to me about what you've kind of researched in priesthood. Uh,
1: yeah, and I'm by no means an expert or authority sure. figure. I mean, I've got I've just studied it, you know, as hard as anybody else has who's, who's been interested in the question. But the Book of Mormon doesn't talk about the ironic priesthood. It doesn't talk about Aaron. It doesn't talk about um, anything like that in that terminology. Now, some people will say, well, Jesus gave people authority or power to baptize. It was, gave him power to baptize this people, this particular people, when I am gone into heaven. So, yes, he did give a certain amount of people a job to baptize and to, to teach and to do a bunch of things. But, um, you know, the, the holy order is spoken of by Alma in, in chapter 13, right? And it's likened unto, you know, Melchizedek and Christ, and it's after that order, after the Son of God. Um, that's the only type of priesthood that I'm aware of that's that's mentioned in the Book of Mormon is the high priesthood, the the real priesthood, I would call it, you know, the the holy order. um mm-hmm. and that's just sanctified individuals that are that are part of the, the Christ Church, you know. Um, there's nothing about Aaron or anything like that in the Book of Mormon. Um, and that's okay, but you know, we've also got um, you know some of the some of the stuff that comes up is that you've got, this timeline, you know, biblical scholar, scholars are, from what I can tell, they're they're in consensus as far as where the ideas came from in the in the Old Testament, where the priesthood of Aaron was established among the Levites, and they were a chosen people. They were independent from the tribes. They got no inheritance. The Levites initially got no inheritance, um, and you read why in in Genesis, the end of it, they were they were pretty evil people, um, and Jacob wrote them out of the will. So. The JEPD source you see at the very bottom, that's the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, as we have it now. That was not compiled until about 450 BCE. And so our Old Testament does not go back to Adam. It does not go back to Moses. It doesn't go back to King David. It doesn't go back to any of this stuff, except for around the time of Ezra in the Old Testament. So this is a relatively new conglomeration of writings that came together. And you see that this P source over here came after um 722 BCE right after the exile and so this is a, a new source and this p source is the one that's entirely responsible for going back into the story and writing in Aaron as some equivalent to Moses they say that Aaron is Moses's brother no other source the j the e the d any of these other sources that are actually older than p none of those sources mention Aaron At all, except for as an idolater, and as someone who rebelled against Moses, right? And Miriam, Miriam's sister, um, Miriam's brother Aaron, and they were she was smitten with leprosy. And there's all these issues with Moses, right? These power struggles. Um, But the P source, when it comes around, um, some, some would, most would even argue that that source did not exist until after Lehi left Jerusalem. So this is how new this idea is of the Aaronic priesthood. That could be why it's never mentioned in the Book of Mormon, because that piece of history hadn't even been written yet they literally fabricated a story about aaron most likely being um co-equal to moses you know moses went up on the mountain with aaron um aaron you know aaron's rod had magical powers Um, the idea that aaron's descendants were in charge of the priestly duties at the temple and that they did all the sacrifices everybody was to pay tithing and only the people of Levi were to benefit from that tithing, right? People would come and offer up, you know, meat sacrifices at the temple. And then, you know, they'd have to give a certain portion to the priests. So there's all this weird stuff that happens in the priestly source and it's isolated entirely to the priestly source, which largely wrote like over 99% of the, the book of Leviticus was written by this priestly source. So the feast days, the holidays, the Holy days, the, uh, the sacrifices, all the rituals, you know, all the temple worship stuff um, largely came from this priestly source, which came probably after Lehi left Jerusalem.
0: So perhaps written by some of the very uh, the Levitical priests themselves? For...
1: Yes. So here you have the blue portion. Can you see on the screen? The blue yeah. The blue portion is the portion of the um, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. The, look at the blue portion here. That's the priestly source that was written probably somewhere, you know, as late as 450 BCE, give or take, and as early as maybe, you know, 700 BCE. You know, people, scholars will argue about where exactly that was that was created, but they do agree in general that it came after the Deuteronomist source, and that was a, a major problem when there was a reformation um and the Deuteronomists, you know, their law was, was kind of added and expanded upon, and, and things changed as far as the affairs of the kingdom. So look at this blue source here. The oldest source is the J source, the red one. And then the second oldest is the E source, the green one. And now you've got the priestly source, which dominates most of the end of the five books of Moses, as far as the rituals and the sacrifices and all the technicalities. Um, but that's the same source that went in into the book of Genesis. Nope. Whoops. I mean, Exodus and made Aaron a hero. They made him a holy man. Whereas before, um, the J source and the E source, they don't talk about Aaron in the same way. In fact, they don't even mention that Aaron is Moses' brother. Now here's something that's really interesting. The priestly source in blue, this was written by priests in Jerusalem that were claiming to be the the descendants of Aaron. Of course they had an incentive to say that Aaron was the chosen lineage that was in charge of the the priesthood and the temple, right? And so these people had everything to gain by changing history to where they were the chosen lineage. But if you go back to Jacob and the records in J and E and, and Jacob's patriarchal blessings in the end of Genesis, the Levites were not looked upon favorably at all. In fact, you know, Aaron was known in those sources as an idolater. You done messed up! built the golden calf, you know? And so I have um, some major questions about the Aaronic Priesthood, um, simply because, you know, you study the history of it and and, and how we got those writings, and it's just nefarious at best. It's not a good thing. And I think that some people in the early dispensation, Sidney Rigdon especially, he was a huge fan of the priesthood, the Aaronic Priesthood. Um, Oliver Cowdery was. He was kind of aspiring to be the one likened to Moses and be Aaron. You know, and he actually changed one of the sections about him, the revelation, and, and made some edits there.
0: Yeah, that was uh is that where he was called the second elder or well, at one time they were just elders and then all of a sudden apostles.
1: Yeah. And nowadays it's it's DNC section eight and I think uh section twenty eight. Talk about Aaron. And so study the history there and see how those have been altered and changed as well. So you know long story short this dispensation we have recently with joseph smith there was nothing about the ironic priesthood at all in any of the church history up until 1834 october 1834 that's when oliver cowdery first makes mention of it in the messenger and the advocate that i can tell um
0: yeah so let's let's talk about that for just a second and i sure. love this uh i love this this blue uh that was interesting that last slide you had up there how it's very very much in Leviticus, but you can see there's, it looks like there's little pointed parts in Genesis, very small that, that mm-hmm. you say, and that's where they went in and kind of messed with Aaron's history or, or made him maybe, or at least it's different about yeah. who Aaron was from those sources.
1: And if you read most of the Genesis stuff going into early Exodus, you can see how this P source in blue heavily was obsessed with Aaron. They wrote about Aaron constantly and Aaron this, Aaron that, Aaron's amazing. Uh, Aaron's the sons of Aaron are, you know, the chosen one and I mean it was just self-serving at best, you know. Uh, but all of the other historical writers, they had no idea that Aaron was anything special. Where is a Aaron right now? No AA Aaron, huh? And so they had they had a heavy incentive I think to flip the script and to get them in charge of uh, the pot of gold inside the temple, you know. Very profitable. This is a theocracy, remember. Political and religious power were associated; they were joined at the hip. Um, there was a lot writing on that, and King David was the one who set up a priest from the northern kingdom, from the lineage of Aaron, supposedly Abiathar, with a priest from the southern kingdom, Zadok, and those two were running the the temple um, and the rituals, the the collective rituals in Jerusalem during you know David Solomon and beyond.
0: Before we talk about Oliver and Joseph uh, and the priesthood being restored. I just I wanted to point out, uh, it's fun for me when I hear of something like, like the word faith to go back into the Old Testament and try to find the very first usage of that word and what exactly did it mean and, and how has it morphed over time you know, with our language today. Uh, and so I, I went back and was just looking up. I thought, where where did we first hear of priesthood? Well, in the King James Version, uh, it's first met, mentioned uh, in relation to Melchizedek, Melchizedek was the king of Salem, which became Jeru-Salem or Jerusalem.
1: New Salem, um, so, yep.
0: Yeah, so he was actually a king and a priest, uh, two roles, because Abraham, you know, paid tithing to Melchizedek. Uh, but in the inspired version, or the Joseph Smith translation, um, there's a reference to the priesthood in Adam and and in Genesis in the inspired version. It's five forty-five, but it says, "All things were confirmed unto Adam by a holy ordinance, and the gospel preached, uh, and a decree sent forth It should be so in the world until the end thereof, and thus it was." So there's, although it doesn't use the word priesthood, and really not, neither does the King James. Uh, uh, it was a a holy ordinance of some sort given to. Adam, now that's only in the Joseph Smith translation. So yeah. uh, that's the only thing we have to. That's not in any of the J P older nope. versions of the Bible. None of so it. That's totally hanging your hat on Joseph and what what he uh, put into there, which is which is fine. But just that's it's not in any of the older manuscripts so far that have come forth.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, if we want to get technical about what Joseph Smith taught in the JST and in the Book of Mormon, um, Aaron was not Moses's brother. Aaron was a Levite. Moses was of Joseph. He's a Josephite. He's not even a Levite. So if we want to get technical, JST Genesis 50 verse 29, it says that, and by this name, Moses, he shall know that he is of thy house, thy Joseph of Egypt's house, for he shall be nursed by the king's daughter, all this stuff. And then second Nephi three, which has similarities to JST Genesis 50, also confirms that Joseph, I mean, Moses is of Joseph he's not a Levite. In Exodus 4, 14, it says, is not Aaron, the Levite, thy brother? Why would God call Aaron, Aaron, the Levite? He's specifying a specific Aaron. He's not saying, hey, Moses, Aaron, your brother. He's saying Aaron, the Levite, which is like, don't you think Moses would know who his own brother was if God was like, hey, another mother. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes. I mean, there's some strange stuff in this story. It's really, really bizarre. I'm 100% convinced though that Moses and Aaron were not siblings. Um, and there's a lot of biblical consensus on this. Um, I mean, you can look up all kinds of articles here, right? Contradictions in the Bible, number 95 on this site. Is Aaron Moses' brother, Levite, or his real brother? And they'd go into all this stuff. And so even biblical writers, um, biblical analysts and scholars are are seeing these issues it's not just me with a conspiracy theory like 90 something percent of of historians and biblical writers who understand these scripts and where they came from um archaeologically you know historically they see 10 times more about the ironic priesthood problems than the latter-day saints are willing to accept you know
0: that's fascinating and and of course the book of mormon speaks to these problems on the title page which I think was just a summary of what you're going to have in this book by Moroni but the, or by Mormon. But um, it says that, especially in First Nephi, the third chapter in the RLDS. But, you know, these verses are all going to be different, but you can Google the phrases and find the scriptures easy enough. It talks about uh, the plain and precious parts of the gospel uh, being restored. It also says the Gentiles stumble because the words went forth in purity from God, and, and then uh, was corrupted by the great and abominable church and many plain and precious things were removed. Um, and we don't really know exactly what that is, but this, this, is, this could very well be pointing to some of those plain and precious things because then where does the priesthood go and how does it morph and change over time uh, according to what God's original uh, plan was for it? Uh, so the Book of Mormon... So then you have to ask yourself a question, well, how much do I rely on the Book of Mormon and the priesthood as opposed to what was set up in the church? Uh, Because you really have to take it at its word that that there are people stumbling because of what has been removed. And the purpose of this was to restore knowledge Uh, for us so we would not stumble Well, obviously they're stumbling today so you really do have to take the book of mormon at its word but i think as a church we keep trying to bring in uh, extracurricular stuff and make it fit and that's where uh, people start to have these faith questions totally uh, yeah especially like as you pointed out the when, when the main christian world with the internet and everything now so much research and it's moving so fast when the main christian world brings these questions up uh it's it's just too easy to say well god did it through joseph he's the prophet uh
1: and then you know know yeah, the history yeah. Yeah. right and or just an appeal to the bible i mean joseph smith said i i found it impossible to settle any question by an appeal to the bible because people interpret it so so many different ways right i yeah. mean if you want to look at you know the book of mormon even it even challenges at least with hints, it's not definitive, but it even challenges the idea that, Joseph, uh, that Jesus would come through Judah, you know, through David. Um, you know, here is is Second Nephi 3 talking about how Joseph truly saw our day. This is um, Lehi talking. He obtained a promise of the Lord, and out of the fruit of his loins, Joseph's loins, the Lord God would raise up a righteous branch into the house of Israel. Not the Messiah, but a branch which was supposed to be broken off and so he he's saying i'm not talking about messiah's branch being broken off from joseph i'm talking about a different one that would, would be broken off and risen up so i don't know i mean we we've got the genealogies of even jesus christ in in matthew. luke and matthew yeah. that that kind of give lineages to supposedly mary but also joseph which wasn't even the father of Jesus. I mean, he was kind of a caretaker for Mary. And so we've got all these issues that we just need to keep studying, keep reading the book with open eyes, keep studying the words. What do these words actually say? What is the Book of Mormon trying to tell us in our day? Is it trying to help us unravel some of this false doctrine that we're drowning in right now, even among the Latter-day Saints? Because we, we take too much liberties to believe that the Bible... Um, and even the Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price are these bulletproof, perfect books, That, but they contradict each other hundreds, thousands of times. There's problems in the text themselves. So what do we believe, right? And right. We have to just figure out what what are we willing to believe came from God and what are we willing to believe didn't? And then let heavier emphasis be put on, if it's the Book of Mormon that you believe is inspired, great. Let that tell the story. And if it doesn't mention ceilings to your spouse or wearing garments or any of these other things that you think are part of your theology, let them go. You know, if God gave us the Book of Mormon to to draw nearer unto him, Joseph Smith supposedly said, a man will draw nearer unto God by abiding by its precepts than any other book. Right? Right there in the title at the beginning.
0: Mm-hmm. Let I mean, yeah. let the
1: book guide you then. Believe it. And don't tack on a bunch of weird doctrines that you only find in modern church teachings. Um, if there's no origin of them in the Book of Mormon, if that's your jam, if the Book of Mormon is your your keystone, um, I think that's just shortcut. You know, studying the the Book of Mormon can really help people understand what Christianity looked like in its untampered form historically. Yeah,
0: and we assume uh, we, the, you know, they had the brass plates. Um, I think there's there's a place in the Book of Mormon uh, where they're talking about Adam and creation. And, and he says, we you know, we already I know that you already have this. I'm not going to go through all this. Uh, we don't know what they had as far as, well, as you pointed out, Ronnie Christa is not mentioned. But there's not a lot about the Law of Moses mentioned. We know they follow the Law of Moses. But there's not yeah. a bunch of specifics in the Book of Mormon and because it's so focused on Jesus Christ, even in the Old Testament of the Book of Mormon. Uh, you know, it was always a more righteous group led away that were willing to understand who Jesus Christ was and that he was allowed to be preached in a very plain and simple manner. I mean, you, you know, the apostles, when they saw Jesus, they they still didn't get the crucifixion and resurrection until after it happened yeah, based on their right. history and their scriptures. But there was no mistaking on this land, uh, his he, even his very name made, made mentioned by the angel. So it was it was a very clear teaching throughout the Old Testament history. Sure.
1: And and, so, you... and some of that Old Testament history could be correct. Maybe there, there was some sort of sacrifice that Moses wanted his people to do, you know, offering up a lamb in remembrance of Jesus coming. I think so, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Maybe there was something, you know, Lehi offered sacrifices. Lehi and Sariah, it says, they're of Manasseh. They're not even of Levite descent. So, like, they were steadying the ark. They should have been struck down by things. You know, I mean, so uh, they, according to the law, they should have been stoned because they're offering sacrifices unworthily because they're not of the Levite descent. So if we're going to cling to this ironic priesthood nonsense and, and insist that it's a thing from God, then why do we have Lehi disobeying the law given regarding who can offer sacrifices and who can't? Now people would say, well, you know, uh, Zoram was a, a Levite and they're just pulling answers out of their backside and making stuff up, but... um. It doesn't say that Zoram offered sacrifice. It says that Lehi did, and he's of Manasseh. So whatever the ironic priesthood was, I assure you, Lehi had no clue how it worked. And God seemed to accept his offering, right? Mm-hmm. Do we really think that God would give just a certain lineage the ability to worship him in the temple? No. I don't. Where Where's the precedent for that in any of the Book of Mormon? you got Lamanites going to the Nephites to preach, Nephites going to the Lamanites to preach. You've got people flip-flopping from different groups of people and, and God's not a respecter of persons, black, white, bond, free, male, (laughs) female. It doesn't matter to him. Why would the Levite idea of them being the only ones that go in the the temple worthily? Why would that fly for anybody who understands even the least bit about Jesus Christ and his character?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Lamanites, you know, receiving the Holy ghost before even, you know, water baptism. And well, so interesting thing about Lehi (laughs) not being from the tribe of, um, it was from the tribe of manasseh or joseph that's and then offering sacrifices i think sometimes because something's not included in in the canon of scripture in the book of mormon we think we have a need to fill it in with with other revelation or add to i think sometimes the fact that it's not there says a lot more than the fact that it is there as if this isn't i mean god easily could have made it a clear-cut case. If there was all these offices and things going on in the Book of Mormon, yeah. the fact that it's not there maybe shows that there's way too much importance placed on certain things that that needn't be. I mean, not saying yeah. they didn't have the the Old Testament sacrifices. It's just not focused on as much. It says they fulfilled the law of Moses and until Jesus came, they were they were practicing
1: that. Yeah, but um, they admit they admit that the whole purpose of the law was to point people to remember that Christ was going to come. The law was about Christianity and teaching people, that, hey, remember that Jesus is coming soon, right? And so, um, and, and according to Alma, you know, Jesus was the last, the great and last sacrifice, right? I, I Even a Hebrew. God would be yeah. offered up in sacrifice. And that and that goes into the Hebrews 7 idea of like, you know, the last high priest, right?
0: It's funny we and, both read that, that yeah, chapter the we same day. The same like, day. Hey, day. Hebrews? I read it today. Actually. I just read
1: it this morning. Yeah. So yeah. we're on the, great, on the same page there. No. Hebrews, if you read chapters 5 through, I don't know. Hebrews 9, it actually makes the case against the Aaronic priesthood. You know, everyone's like, oh, well, Hebrews 5, 4 says, no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron, right? Uh, As was, is italicized, meaning they added that in later on. And so, you know, technically that could be written, read several different ways. I mean, it could be read technically, if if you want to get into the word order and, and what was, you know, made into the English translation later on. No man taketh this honor unto himself, as did Aaron, except he that is called of God. Um, But then you've also got, you know, Hebrews is making the case that, look, if perfection comes from the Levitical order, from the Aaronic priesthood, if that's part of your path of progression, you've got Melchizedek, who is a high priest and who obtained God. And yet he was born, Abraham came to him to get his priesthood. And Levi wasn't even born yet. Levi was still in the testicles of Abraham, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So the idea that it comes from the Levitical order or the Aaronic priesthood as a path to progression or a path to godliness is absolutely absurd. Mm -hmm. That that priesthood Mm -hmm. didn't exist when Melchizedek was around and he obtained heaven. And then you've got the argument made also in Hebrews where, why was it necessary to raise up Jesus as a great high priest and he wasn't even of the Levite lineage. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. God skips the Levites and the Aaronic Priesthood in lots of different examples. It it's not necessary for these people to have it. That's interesting.
0: So when, so when priesthood uh, is, comes about in the Restoration, you know, we have offices. We have teachers, deacons, and priests as members of the Aaronic Priesthood. And then we have elders as the Melchizedek, High priests, seventies apostles, uh, the word, for instance, that word deacon, from what I've understood, and there's a great resource if your listeners unaware called the Bible Project, out of Salem, Oregon. They have tons of videos, cartoons. They, they are so oh, yeah. well studied and they Hebrew. are good.
1: Yeah, yeah you
0: good. know, uh, I've learned so much about the Bible from them. Uh, as a matter of fact, just a caveat. An interesting thing that came up is that when Jesus came and dwelt with us, the real Truest translation of that means he tabernacled with us. The only place you find that word oh, is in the Book of Mormon. That that Jesus took on a tabernacle of clay. It's mm-hmm. not. I thought, well, that's got to be in the Bible. No, it's not in the Bible. It's in the Book of Mormon. Which was oh, so. That, I see those nuggets all the time, which is really yeah. cool. But anyway, cool. they pointed out like that word deacon. It just it meant servant. It wasn't a official office. It was something that the apostles didn't have time to do uh wait tables and things they so you, you have to wonder how did something like deacon when people see what that originally was then morph into a a quote priest at office. Um, and then were and then the yeah. word teachers I've always questioned like the Book of Mormon had priests and teachers. Was that a was that actually an office or were they ordained to teach the people the gospel? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean there were people out teaching the doctrine of Christ all over the place in the Book of Mormon. That's okay. That doesn't have to be a priesthood assignment. Like we, We're we just taking LDS theology today and and applying it to the Book of Mormon. Let the Book mm-hmm. of Mormon speak for itself. There were people that were set apart and, and commissioned to go out and to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to nourish with the good word. You know, Moroni chapter 6 talks about that, how these people were taken and their names were recorded and they were remembered and they were nourished with the good word of God. They met together often to fast and to pray. Um, speak one another with about the welfare of their souls and stuff like that. So the the first couple verses of Moroni 6, though, they talk about how deacons, teachers and priests were baptized, but they didn't baptize anybody except they first came forth with a broken heart and contrite spirit. You know, like you had to actually be ready for a full baptism in order to be even dunked by water, according to Moroni. And so maybe we do it wrong these days where we just take any old eight-year-old, throw them down in a font, give them church membership and say, hey, good luck. You know, that's not how it worked, according to Moroni. They had to forth, first come forth with a broken heart, contrite spirit, truly witnessing unto the entire church that they had repented of all their sins. How do you witness to entire church that you're repentant of all your sins? It's going to take some time. They have to get to know you. You have to Especially serve among
0: here. them. And that, that number of eight years old, which both of our <laughs> both of our sides, RLDS, our LDS, LDS uh, I believe is in the Joseph Smith translation only in the old Testament of Genesis, perhaps Enoch that speaks about baptizing when they get to an age of accountability of eight. Yeah. Uh, but that's not, that's not in the book of Mormon. That's not anywhere else. And, and so you think if all of a sudden someone's accountable for their sins around eight, what are they baptized for if they haven't committed any yet?
1: Exactly. Because all of a sudden they've
0: reached the age of accountability. Uh, Another interesting question on priesthood that, that I've heard asked before is this number eight and only found in the in the Joseph Smith translation, not in the old manuscripts of the Bible.
1: Yeah, I mean, DNC 68 talks about that. But it also, if you read mm-hmm. it very carefully, it's talking about this is the law in Zion. Zion failed. There was no Zion. I'm sorry. This law doesn't apply to 200 years later, a bunch of cursed people out in the desert of Utah. You know what I'm talking about? So there's a very specific context to that that often gets ignored. Um, because we erroneously think that we're living in Zion, a, a Zionic order. We're not. If we were, we should all be consecrating all of our properties and, and doing all the other stuff that goes with it, right? And so yeah, yeah, the priesthood offices, uh, DNC 107, that was an 1835 edition. edition. Um, that wasn't added until about 1835. 1834 is when they started crafting all this stuff. DNC Section 20 went through a couple of revisions. Uh, DNC 107 appeared in the 1835 edition, but the whole book of commandments didn't really speak about these things nearly as much. And you've also got, was it John Whitmer or David Whitmer, John Whitmer, the church historian in the early mm-hmm. days, you know, his writings, when they came out, he didn't even mention anything about John the Baptist giving the ironic priesthood keys or any of that stuff. In fact, yeah, we don't get that until like 1838 when they're sitting down and trying to rewrite the, the history of the church. It's sort of like the story evolved into something much, much bigger. I think the first time we have mentioned that I can find is, uh, you know, it's uh, Oliver Cowdery in Messenger and Advocate, October 1834, which is at the very end of your Pearl of Great Price. It's literally the last words in there. Second from last paragraph, you'll read that Oliver Cowdery's talking about this instant. And he says, this priesthood, he doesn't call it the ironic Priesthood, there's nothing attached to it. It says it came from an angel, a messenger, doesn't even mention, I think John the Baptist wasn't even mentioned, but, you know, that, the section in the DNC right now, that's section 13, that says, upon you, my fellow servants, in the name of Messiah, I confer the priesthood of Aaron, right? That the sons of Levi will offer again an offering in righteousness. That was added in 1876 by Brigham Young. That was never part of the original canon. It was never even a revelation, You know, that was added later on in 1876. They needed that to be in there for whatever reason. Um, But in the Book of Mormon, uh, 3 Nephi 24, verse 3, Jesus talks about the sons of Levi. And he says that they will be purged, that they will yet offer again an offering in righteousness. In other words, they haven't been historically offering a, a righteous offering. Why would they need to be purged? Why would they need to repent if they are the chosen seed and the high priests that are supposed to officiate in all this stuff—what is Jesus talking about? Where did they go off off the rails?
0: Yeah, they, you mentioned something. I want to back up a little bit and hang out there for a second. Sure. Uh, and this is this is not to be not to hurt anybody's faith or be controversial. It's just a question. Joseph, so you were at the <laughs> Book of Commandments uh, originally had a very short section when uh, the eighteen thirty. Five or later edition of the Doctrine and Covenants added 500 words. I think you have it actually on your, I think I have it pulled up here. I don't know if I can share it with you. I have it pulled up, but anyway, they the added section. a book. Uh, for you, Let's see, it's 1833 versus the 1835 edition, but I'm not sure. It may be chapter, it may be section 27. It's on oh. your Yeah, that,
1: that one's been, they added a lot to that. Yeah, um, let me try That's to pull it up, I... show it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so 1833 to 1835 edition. Let me share my screen real quick. Yeah. Um. Just so the viewers can see this. Yeah. There you go. All right. So this is these are comparing. Um. This is DNC compare. Whoops. Let me try to get this a little bit bigger over here.
0: This would be section 26 in the RLDS. I think if it's section 27 in.
1: Yeah, so the 1833 edition on the left, which is highlighted in orange, you know, that's the Book of Commandments edition, and then you've got the 1835 edition of the Doctrine and Covenants on the right. Is this what you're talking about, where they just kind of just (laughs) throw in a bunch of stuff about Moroni, Peter, James, and John?
0: Right, right. So this, okay, so here's where they mention Peter, James, and John, and it's in the 1835 edition, Uh, but this happened supposedly happened in 1828 or 1829 before the church was officially organized the priesthood i believe but Uh, nothing yeah nothing was mentioned so you would think when the church was being organized Why wasn't there any mention of the priesthood authority being restored?
1: Exactly. It's so foundational. It's so fundamental to the entire restoration. Why did nobody know about it until 1834? That's my biggest question.
0: Correct. Yeah. So that was, what, five, six, six years after the experience. Um, I realized, you know, those guys were probably pretty busy and and maybe didn't have time to, to write it down or didn't think it necessary at the time uh that's to me that's a i can't imagine having peter james and john appear and and lay hands on my head and not have that recorded or at least spoken of to the saints at that time but what a miraculous uh thing the priesthood has just been restored here on earth yeah so so that's a
1: question that should have made headlines he doesn't mention anything about Peter, James, and John laying hands on people's heads. He mentions that at Isaac Morley Farm in June of 1831 is the first time that the Melchizedek priesthood is given to anybody in this dispensation. And that's, you know, according to some of the people that were there at that event, they also say that was the first time it was conferred. And so I I, I don't know, what is it? Like, did, did all of those people at the Isaac Morley Farm conference, you tell me not one of them didn't raise their hand and be like, wait a minute, what about Peter, James, and John? I thought they already did this. Mm. Right. Yeah. These,
0: these are the things that make me go, Hmm. yeah uh, it but should. Also, Any intelligent also, person
1: should be questioning this.
0: And it's okay to, to question that because totally. it, I always funnel back my original thought process of the book of Mormon is to restore uh, those plain and precious things. And so not only is Bible history uh, over thousands of years, murky and and we, you know, the original records not even being there, but we have the original records in in a short period of less than 200 years. And look how murky and uh, muddy the, the church history is in just a short period of time. And maybe it's because we have the ability to write and record and people were taking journals and writings all along. And so we have those things to look at and you can see where things do make you question, you know, timelines and why were things left out. But but the Book of Mormon mm-hmm. doctrine is is really where I end up landing and what does it say and clarify?
1: Yeah. I mean, even then that's a that's a faith question, whether or not mm-hmm. people trust the Book of Mormon as the reliable source. I mean, I tend to lean on the Book of Mormon more as as a pure record than I would the Bible or even the DNC. Golly, that's been through some it's hamburger meat these days, <clears throat> but yeah. So people have to decide what they're willing to believe more of, right? Do you need a modern day prophet? Do you need the arm of flesh to to dictate everything to you? Then, if if so, then good luck, because mm-hmm. those policies are going to change. Revelations will be altered and changed, and always the living prophet being the most important is it's a disaster, man. I'll tell you what, because the you know even in the Book of Mormon, Jacob chapter four talks about how apostasies happen not because people strip out everything that's good it's because they add a bunch of crap that doesn't need to be in there in your belief system the jews for example they expanded their um, their code of law to be you know i can't remember how many rules but That's what we have today. You know, there's church handbooks, volume one and two. I don't know what the RLDS use, but there's these like manuals that dictate, you know, whether or not you can have abortion and what you can do on the Sabbath day and what you need to do to get a temple recommend. And I mean, it feels very much like the Jews in regards to um, what Jacob was talking about in chapter four, like these people sought for things they couldn't understand. They wanted the mysteries. Mm -hmm. So God delivered them up. He let them just stumble. And, and tripped their way through um, what they thought was religion, but it wasn't.
0: I wondered, um, when it says plain and precious parts being removed, if that meant literally cut out or just removed because so much was added around it that you can't see the simple, you know, for the, for the trees. It's, it's, uh, I'm finding those simple things in the book of Mormon more and more that we're just hiding in plain sight because I have to deprogram from uh, a lot of the extra extraneous stuff that surrounds it. Uh, For instance, uh, just reading in Alma this past couple of weeks, it talks about, uh, for those that don't harden their heart, they receive uh, of God's fullness, even they receive of the mysteries of God, even until they receive a fullness. And for those that harden their heart, they receive a lesser portion of the word, even until they receive nothing and are taken down to hell and outer darkness. Well, to me, that's a very clear. That's a very clear doctrine that qu- casts question on this idea of eternal progression. And I know that the Mormons, uh, sorry, the LDS have—I don't know what's politically correct anymore. The LDS have, yeah. <laughs> have the have that to the nth degree as far as the RLDS have. But we still teach that there's a place in heaven you can be, but you're not with Jesus. There's a place in heaven you can be, but you're not with the Father, based on the glories. But the Book of Mormon to me is very simple that there's no there's no hanging out in that middle ground area. You're either not hardening your heart and progressing in source until you receive the fullness, or you or you hang out and, and harden your heart until you have nothing and Satan seals you his and, and and perhaps if there is some glory system in heaven, it's not an eternal place. You are on a pathway to be with the Father and return home. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I think, you know, doctrine. the Book of Mormon, I think God, I, I tend to think the Book of Mormon is divine. I, I think it's a good record. It's Is it perfect? No, there's all kinds of problems with it. Um, however, that doesn't have to rattle me from, from the principles in it being good and following them. So, you know, 2 Nephi 3 also talks about how the um, the fruit of the loins of Joseph shall write, right? And the fruit of the loins of Judah shall write. And they shall grow together under the confounding of false doctrines and laying down of contentions, right? And establish peace among the fruit of thy loins, bringing them to a knowledge of their fathers in the latter days. So we have this scripture about the stick of Judah, stick of Joseph, right? And traditionally, I'll tell you what, growing up LDS, the answer was, uh, yeah, Bible, Book of Mormon. Boom, we're gonna merge them together into a quad and we're gonna sell them at Deseret Book and boom, fulfillment of prophecy. I just ordered
0: one this week in a larger print so I could have <laughs> yeah. the, the, the LDS the Doctrine and Covenants.
1: There you go. But but we interpret that as meaning that the Bible and the Book of Mormon come together and both of that. No, baloney. No, these two records, Judah and Joseph, were going to grow together. They were going to be stitched together or abridged together. Now, you've got the, uh, the, the Manassehites from Lehi coming over. Fruitful bough, over the wall, right? They're expanding in America. And you've also got who came over from Judah? Mulek. Mulek Mulek, came here and he brought his records and King Mosiah had to interpret them and stitch them together into the history. So you've got now Mm -hmm. the record of Judah and the record of Joseph on the American continent growing together into one volume of scripture, the Book of Mormon. And that volume of scripture was to come forth in the last days. Not the Bible. We've always had it for thousands of years, dummies. It's not talking about the Bible. It's talking about a new record where the Judah record and the Josephite record would be stitched together and they would grow together to the confounding of false doctrines and to laying down contentions. Remember, Jesus said, no contentions among you. This is my doctrine of Christ, guys. Because he knew that by the time that 2,000-something rolls around, The scriptures, the religious interpretations, the histories will have been Frankenstein and altered to a large degree. He knew that we were in trouble. He wanted to give us a little something to help us.
0: That's an interesting point. I haven't thought of it that way because I I also was the Bible and the Book of Mormon. But so you're saying it's already been stitched together, Joseph and Judah, through the editors and writers of the...
1: Yeah, Mormon and Moroni were called to bring these records together, I believe. Mm-hmm. Now we can debate all day long about the stick of Judah being the Bible, but you know, you and I, you and I know by now that not all of that stuff was written by Judah. Correct. Uh, the priestly source that I just showed you is written by Levi. So how is that the record of Judah? It's not. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's the record of a bunch of different people, right? You've got a bunch of kings that were wicked. Some of them weren't even Israelites. I mean, some of them were Edomites, like King. Uh, who's the king when Joseph or Jesus showed up on the scene? King Herod.
0: Herod, yeah. He was an
1: Edomite. He didn't even come from Jacob. Like, how is this dude the king of Israel? Right? I think and so
0: it was my, mid, my mid-20s <laughs> before I realized Herod was actually of the of the Jews and not a Roman king.
1: <laughs> I, yeah. Just so, one of those things. Yeah. The Bible is not this the record of Judah, not, not exclusively. There are some Ju- Judah writers in there, and there's some of that stuff. And but you know, I, I think it's talking about something else. I think the Book of Mormon is way more important than we give it credit for. I think that prophecy is about. Look, these two records are going to come together and be embridged by, by some really good dudes, Mormon and Moroni. Um, Joseph Smith would help translate it later on, right, through the gift and power of God. So I think that is what God is trying to get us to pay attention to in the, in the latter days, this record of Joseph with Judah. And it's going to confound false doctrines. And if you study it deeply and you pay attention to it, you know, I mean, we just have to slow down and pay attention to these words and not let tradition dictate to us our understanding of these verses start that's, over throw it out read it what do the words say in the book you know
0: such truth where you just said slow down uh that's that's a uh, that's slowing down is also yeah stepping back from traditional thinking and and just having a clean thought have a a clear thought what the words are actually saying and the stories being told that deprogramming is so hard i can't imagine
1: it is yeah
0: your background uh LDS, like I said, I don't have that life experience, but as much as I think we started this out at the beginning, as we were also told, you know, you're the one true church, we pretty much, everything bad about the religion was offloaded onto Brigham in our culture, and, and you know, happened out in Utah, or on the way to Utah, and Joseph was clean as as could be in this, this, this perfect restoration, and I think Oh, I heard it said on one of the interviews coming from the LDS side, everything that uh, it was the exact opposite, you know, Oh, this is an RLDS source. They're just trying to make Joseph clean. You can't trust it. You know, he practiced polygamy and and those things. So uh, anyway, so you,
1: you and I both know that both of our histories have been jacked with and tampered with, right?
0: Yeah. But your focus on, you know, what was going on as Joseph was alive and as it. Even, you know, two years, months after the church was officially uh, restored or, or set up, how quickly things have happened. So another one of those things that we had, I don't know if we're wanting to leave uh, priesthood yet or if you had anything else to add on that. I wanted to bring up. I have another question as far as priesthood. I hear a lot in, well, it's in the Doctrine and Covenants from both of our, our sides, but the word keys I I went and looked in the Bible, priesthood keys. You know, if you just think about what that word means for a minute, a key is something that unlocks a door so you can open the door and get through the doorway or into another room. You're, you're, that's what those word keys are. So I thought, where does it talk about this in relation to priesthood? Well, the Bible mentions it, the word keys only three times. Uh, one of those is in Matthew, when Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom of heaven to Peter, whatever that meant, and tells him whatever he binds on earth will be bound in heaven. And then in... in uh, sealing power. Yeah, it's sealing. So that's a different word for us. And you,
1: yeah, sealed the, in heaven. The though. real sealing power, the about the that's ability right. to command the elements and command the angels, not husband and wife being stuck forever miserably together, you know?
0: yeah. And so then the other time it's mentioned is in Revelation, where it's talking about the keys to hell, that Jesus uh, has the keys of hell and death. And of course, we, we believe he descended into hell to preach to the to the spirits in prison. The Book of Mormon, uh, the keys are mentioned one time, and that's uh, <laughs> they got the keys from Laban so they could get the plates. It <laughs> had nothing to do with, keys. with priesthood. Uh-huh. So all of a sudden, we have this restoration of, priesthood and it seems like everybody and their brother is showing up with a key to something gotta
1: have a key gotta own (laughs) that
0: and i wondered why so heavy uh and i so in the lds i've heard it referenced like the husband has the priesthood keys is that is that something real or is that a a...
1: oh yeah people talk about that that weird stuff all the time in lds culture so they talk about keys um they say stuff like you know that president of the church has the keys to revelation, um, the keys to priesthood ordinances in the temple. That sounds Levitical, doesn't it? Um, but also, you know, a husband has the keys to preside over his family, to receive revelation only in regards to his family. Can't receive revelation for the church, or you can't interpret doctrine with revelation. You just, all you can do is tell your daughter where to go to college by praying about it. I mean, that's kind of the limit of priesthood holders in the family, right?
0: Okay. Well, a couple of things that stick out to me is in regarding to the to the keys is uh, the RLDS section 83. It's 84 for the LDS is a, a scripture that I've heard quoted so many times. And it says the power of God is manifested through the ordinances and, and priesthood. And I, th- it, I think it specifically says without those things, then the power of God. It's not manifest or it's manifested through those things. So Mm. that's really, that is a really strong statement because it makes you wonder. So without the priesthood, where am I at with my relationship with
1: God then? Well, I think the the power of godliness being manifest, I think, is clearly spelled out in the Book of Mormon to mean that the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost is what God will give you if you have a broken heart and contrite spirit. That's the only ordinance that's designed to manifest the power of godliness, from what I can tell, right? And people can argue about what that means exactly, but you remember, Jesus gave the, the disciples there in the American continent the ability to go out and baptize everybody and to whoever they lay their hands on after they pray and get confirmation... They could receive the Holy Ghost. And so there really is a day of Pentecost, a, a rebirth, a baptism of fire experience that's that's really necessary to, to help purify people and to help them come unto Christ and have a you know good relationship with him where they become his sons and daughters. I think that's what 84 is talking about, if anything. Now, 84 has some issues. Uh, 84 is talking about the Aaronic Priesthood, right? The law of carnal commandments. How does that sound good? And the you know, which the Lord in his wrath caused to continue with the house of Aaron. <laughs> so How's that a good thing? You know, the, if the Lord's angry and he causes something to happen, like, like that's a curse that he sm- smote those people with to let the descendants of Aaron, you know, use unrighteous dominion for several centuries.
0: This kind of language where you have a priesthood holding the keys to unlocking god's power to you does a number on you mentally especially again like when you start having that crisis of faith where you're wondering well where would i go then if i don't keep buying into this because we're so programmed to believe that there's certain things only the priesthood can give you uh and then they you know by the power of christ but there's a big mediator besides jesus to the heavenly father which is the priesthood it seems in some ways
1: yeah, and, and the only priesthood talked about in the Book of Mormon is the, is the Holy Order, right? That of Melchizedek, the Order of Melchizedek. And even JSD Genesis 14, we read about that. It's not given by hand-to-head ordination. It's not given uh, patriarchally from father and mother passed down. It comes from the voice of God strictly. And you see examples of that where Alma was called of God to do a certain work at the Waters of Mormon. You see, you know, Nephi, son of Helaman, He's given that power as well, that sealing power, those keys, so to speak, where he can command the elements and they would obey. Um, in the presence of mine angels, I declare it. So God's voice himself was giving this quote-unquote priesthood to these guys in the Book of Mormon. I, I don't see any example of anyone slapping hands on some dude's head, some 12-year-old, and, and giving him the, the power to act in God's name. It just it doesn't work that way. God gives that power, not humans. So I think if anyone's claiming to run around having the Melchizedek priesthood, they don't understand the priesthood well enough if they think that you can put hands on someone else's head and give it to them. That's not how this works, you know?
0: That's interesting. Uh, um, I think the bishop says a bishop can be uh, a member of the Aaronic if they are a literal descendant of Aaron.
1: I mean, frankly, according to the Old Testament, sorry to cut you off, nobody should have the Aaronic priesthood unless they're a Levite. And so now you've got the Latter-day Saints running around bragging about how in their patriarchal blessings, they're of Ephraim, most of them, the white people, Manasseh for, for other groups, some Benjamin occasionally, but you don't have the Aaronic priesthood if you're not a descendant of Aaron. I'm sorry. You can't have it both ways. You can't ordain an Ephraimite into the order of Aaron because Old Testament was, it was a lineal thing. It was their lineage, right? You remember when there was that guy trying to carry the ark and he wasn't a Levite and he he got he got struck down, I mean, I mean, which do you want to believe? like if you believe the Aaronic priesthood really is a thing, that's fine. that's cool. What's your lineage though? It better be direct descendant of Aaron or else you don't have it anyway
0: yeah, I will say so Oliver, uh, I think to the end of his life, never still held to that experience him and Joseph, so I wonder you have to take a line of thinking, i mean in a logical way, was it a was it a false experience from something that wasn't of God? Maybe it was a different spirit. Was it? Did they misunderstand what was happening? If it was John the Baptist and Peter, James, and John, was it just they had this gift of priesthood? But but then you know there was two ordinations, so that's it's uh, it's a hard one. It's probably yeah out of everything in the history of the church, one of the hardest things for me to understand uh, because yeah, it's so. And-
1: and human nature's at play here. There were there were people. Joseph was young when he did the Book of Mormon and started this church thing.
0: Kids, they were just kids. They, they were,
1: were, yeah. Uh, Sidney Rigdon was a little bit older, and he was, you know, he was a, a Bible scholar. He was probably the most educated as far as the Bible went. But you know, Sidney Rigdon had a lot of influence on Joseph and and others. And you know, he was trying to put stuff together and convince Joseph that you know we need Aaronic priesthood, and you know, here's how it was in the Old Testament. So I think Joseph could have just Either delegated or bought into some of the stuff, and I think his education was, his understanding was probably evolving too, mm-hmm. um, and that's okay. I don't fault him for writing revelations that talk about some of this stuff.
0: Yeah, I wonder if looking back on whatever experience they had, if it was, if it was then morphed through their hindsight into maybe <clears throat> something different. Since it was a number of years before reported, um, that's that's one line of thinking, the same as the the first vision. Um, Another thing, the baptism uh, or uh, you know, lectures of faith very clearly state that that God is uh, the Father is a personage of spirit. that Jesus is a personage of a body. Uh, this that was removed from the from the doctrine and covenants later on. But yeah. that that makes you go the lectures on faith
1: uh, is another question, right? So, I mean, the Book yeah. of Mormon, the Book of Mormon theology is that Jesus Christ is the Father, right? you can study that until you're blue in the face and there's no other conclusion you can come to. Now when most people like, wow, well then why is Jesus praying to himself? That's weird. Well, look at what the actual prophets who knew him are saying about him. They're saying that God himself would come down among the children of men and he would do this stuff. Right. And then he would, you know, rise back up. So, I mean, LDS theology has morphed into a lot of different things that are contrary to the book of Mormon. Um, And so, Keep in mind, these priesthood ordinances, the Aaronic priesthood story, uh, how to ordain priests, de- deacons, teachers, elders, all that stuff, that was largely an 1835 DNC edition. Now they could have been, they could have had liberty to just set up the church however they see fit. There's a lot of things that the Lord says in the Doctrine and Covenants where this phrase is used. It mattereth not. Mm -hmm. whether you go by boat or by ship or whether you buy a boat or rent one. I don't care. It mattereth not. There's certain things the Lord does not care about. This could have been one of those things where after the condemnation happened, they could have just been left to their own devices to organize a church and a people the best they knew how. And so, yeah, they could could say, hey, teachers, priests, deacons, this is how it works. They could outline section 20, section 107. They can have all these revelations about it to try to help the people understand it. I think that's okay. I I think... At what happened after the condemnation, I don't think God really cared. He, you could do it however you wanted. Joseph, you're the president. You do whatever you want. Make make Hiram president if you want to. And you guys can just run this thing by a committee. You guys can vote as a council. I really don't think God cared how it was structured after the condemnation. As The faster we can understand that we're in a deep, dark apostasy and have been for 200 years or so, I think... You know, about 190, 185. I mean, as soon as we come to that realization and we look ourselves in the mirror accurately and say, look, we're a fallen people. Look around the society. We don't have the fruits of a Zion around, around us. There's a reason why. It's because, you know, a, a lot of us on the earth, all of us probably, are having trouble repenting and coming into Him and, and correcting ourselves and aligning ourselves with, with God, which is largely He's teaching to love one another, keep His commandments serve people, give to the poor. Um, Those are the basic foundational building blocks to religion, pure religion, as James would say. Um, But we're struggling to even get some of that stuff down. So, yeah, we're not going to understand a lot of the deep, dark mysteries about whatever else, you know, Zion Mm -hmm. and and priesthood and whatever else, you know, we're trying to wrestle with until we as a people kind of come to a point where we understand our awful situation, that we are carnal, sensual, and devilish by nature and that we need to... Call upon God and repent and, and come unto Him with full purpose of heart, and not that's until a, you do that will any of this stuff work out.
0: That's uh, yeah, and I find hope in the fact that it's not this scattered. Well, I find hope in this. There's help coming. The Calvary's coming. Uh, the The Israelites. You know, there's a group called One for Israel. I don't know if you've you've seen that. They have YouTube videos uh, with millions of hits. Uh, there's Uh, The Jews in Israel are are the most tapped in people to YouTube. Ninety nine point some percent of them are involved with that. And now they've got YouTube videos with millions of of views on testimonies of these Jews coming to Jesus firsthand. He's he's appearing to them. He's manifesting himself to them. And yet it's if the numbers is still they say zero point four percent. Of the Jews that live in Israel are Christians, so but it's it's starting to happen. And the Book of Mormon says when when they start to understand Christ was the Messiah, they must needs have these things. The Book of Mormon is going to just I, I really believe play that part and like wow these are the covenants that we have restored to us.
1: Hopefully, yeah, they've got a lot of tradition to overcome, just like latter yeah. Saints do. And so, but if they can soften their heart and let truth be their religion, then yeah, they can. They can dig themselves out of any, any trouble they've been in historically. Thanks for listening. If you like this show, share it with your people. Join the conversation on Facebook, YouTube, or hemlockknots.com, where you'll find show notes and source material for these subjects and much more.